welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. After a disappointing 6-10 and 10 season. That's right. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Good riddance. It is over, Browns fans. You don't have to watch the Cleveland Browns again for quite some time. You can breathe a collective sigh of relief. The Cleveland Browns and those ugly uniforms are down for the count. That is true. I'm legit pumped about getting new uniforms. Hopefully, I think it's pretty wide consensus that they'll go back to a more classic look. I actually Googled today. What if they went more extreme? (laughs) (laughs) I kind of want to double down. What would be more extreme? What would be like a version? Like Like an old Jaguar style, like orange fades to brown helmet. But also like, also like chrome. Like orange chrome, chrome face mask. Yeah. There you yeah. go, so, like an Oregon duck style, like with like a futuristic and a jersey with like a texture to it. <laughs> yeah, velour, <laughs> velour jerseys. <laughs> uh, that'd be a, that's that'd be incredible. No, but I was saying I looked up when we announced when we debuted the jerseys last time in 2015, and it was April 14th. Yeah, just before the draft. Of, of, yeah. 2015. So if we take that as any sort of benchmark for what will happen here, we're probably yeah. uh, four months away, three and a half months Something away like from, from seeing the new Cleveland Browns jersey. That's I off-season mean, content, boys. Yeah. We'll need it. <laughs> <laughs> Something to talk about. Um, I mean, they've had it forever. It's just about when they decide the best time to do it is. They got to do it before the draft, though, I would think. I mean, for photo ops and didn't all like sorts last of off season there was like a teaser video of Baker like getting a yeah, preview. No. Yeah, in of the, the, yeah, there was yeah. Of the jerseys. Yeah, they were like mock ups. They Concepts. it wasn't it wasn't yeah. like they were finalized or anything. It was the Jimmy Johnston saying this is what we're thinking for this and this. It was you know. I remember Baker being like, "Oh yeah, that's that looks great." Yeah, sure. He's like, <laughs> "All right." Really have no opinion. This is not my area of expertise. Um, well, to put the perfect nightcap on a horrible, horrible season um, on Sunday, yesterday the Browns lost to the Bengals 23-33. to We lost to the worst team in the league, a division rival. The Battle of Ohio, we split. We split with everyone in our division, and uh, it was just kind of a limp noodle. It, it was a microcosm of the season in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, and we've talked about it a few times in this podcast, but it this didn't feel like the team really cared a whole lot. There wasn't a lot of effort out there on that field yesterday. You know who was giving effort? Odell Beckham was yeah. freaking puking on the sidelines and apparently had the shits. Do you think he really just wanted to get over a thousand yards? I'm wondering. Oh, if that's I, the case. Uh, no, I absolutely think that that, <laughs> yeah. that was a motivating factor <laughs> for <laughs> sure. Matthew and I were watching the game together yesterday, and as soon as he caught that pass to get him over a thousand yards. He immediately took his helmet off and started running to the sideline. And we were like, oh, I guess he's just done. He made, <laughs> he made it over 1,000. But then he proceeded to throw up on the sideline. And we were like, oh, no, he's puking. Yeah. <laughs> he's not done. He just can't play any longer. So credit to him. And for anybody who still questions his, his want to or drive or work ethic. I mean, I, I don't know what else there is to say. But, yeah, it was disappointing performance overall. I mean. We couldn't get off the field on defense. We just looked outmatched at every level of our defense, which is disappointing against the worst team in the league. Um, and then the offensive line play was, was not good. Baker had 
the most average time to throw since 2015. But there were times where rushers were coming free on stunts up the middle. Um, in I mean, critical Chris situations. Hubbard was playing, so yeah, it was difficult for Baker. Yeah, I mean, was Kendall Lamb hurt? He's a little banged. Kendall, yeah, I know he was Kendall inactive. Lamb was inactive. I don't know. McRae was playing right guard for a lot of this game. I don't. I don't know if I didn't catch if he started the game. I just know that he was in there a bunch. Um, never helpful. Never great when Justin McRae is out on the field. Probably don't want a Justin McRae in your roster, to be quite honest. Don't think he really has what it takes to play meaningful snaps in the NFL. But we were not effective running the football against the worst Run defense. rushing defense yep. in the NFL. Um, and, and so much of running the ball is like lining up and wanting it. And like the whole Browns team, for the most part, like aside from a few players like Odell and, you know, there was a few guys you clearly were putting some good effort. Justin Burris stood out to me as a guy that was, seemed like he was flying around and playing I like hard. that guy. Yeah. Um, but we just kind of looked flat and didn't really care. And as much as we like say the front, you know, Jimmy Haslam shouldn't be like looking at this final game as a determining factor on whether or not Freddie should keep his job. Like it is a reflection on the coach when his head is on the chopping block and that locker room doesn't seem to give a crap about playing to keep his job. Like, everyone knows that that's the case. It seems like a pretty damning take from the players to just kind of, like, show up and half-ass it throughout Week 17. But, I don't know. I disagree with the premise that Freddie, anything Freddie could do on Sunday would have kept his job. I you, can make, I you can make the argument for the final three games. Like, they didn't know what they were going to do going into the final three games of the season, and because we got toasted in the three games they they chose to let him go but this decision was made before sunday there is nothing that the players could have done effort they could have shown no result that would have no for sure freddie in the the job i don't disagree with you weren't trying and so that's indicative of how freddie coached them throughout the entire season and the decision was already made and the fact that they weren't trying was showing that they didn't care about their head kick yeah i agree so well, that is Freddy something Kitchens. that that did happen. We did fire Freddie Kitchens immediately. Immediately after the game, got off the plane, went to the training. So normally that waits till Monday morning. Which well, why wait? Yeah, why wait? I like that. If you know if the decision's already been made, it gives you a head start on interviewing candidates and it just removes the like uncomfortable. It does wait. preserve one night of sleep. Like yeah, <laughs> trying to go to sleep and like wake up for that. 6.30 a.m. first thing in the morning meeting would be pretty miserable. It was so interesting to me on, as this news came out, like it was clear that Ian Rappaport was getting news directly from Freddie Kitchens and that Freddie had called him and seemed emotional. And like he really did not see it coming. So interesting. I think Freddie's kind of an optimist. Just by nature. I guess. Damn. A lot of people saw it coming. Freddie, not one of them. That's too bad. I mean, but okay. It had to happen. Freddie is now gone. And there's still all this discussion in the atmosphere um, about possibly firing John Dorsey as well. Um, and people thinking that John Dorsey's not going to be around for the rest of the season or for next season. What do you guys think about that? Those reports. Are, are you for 
getting rid of John Dorsey. People kind of soured him on him over the course of this year. Um, no, I, I, so, I mean, he hasn't been flawless for sure. And there's, there's things to criticize, but I don't know that, I don't know that he has done anything to deserve losing his job. That's, that's been public facing. I mean, he, he was in charge of the, the coaching search to, to find what inevitably turned out to be Freddie Kitchens. Um, but they cut bait, moved on, whatever. I don't like the reports that if we bring in certain head coaches, they will have influence on who their front office staff is and if John Dorsey gets to keep his job or not. It's Let's like, talk about that. Wait, like, why? What, uh, why do you not like that? Because I, I, I feel like it's just we're constantly in this cycle of, no, this person's in charge and running the whole football show, so we're going to fire this person, this person, this person. Um, I don't think that you're not going to get any stability in the organization. Like if you want to move on from John Dorsey and you don't think he's the guy do it irregardless of what, if you want to restart, bring in a GM and a coach, do it. Yeah. But don't, don't make it this thing where, Oh, if we hire these two head coaches, John Dorsey will stay. If we hire these other head coaches, then they might influence us to fire John Dorsey to then bring in somebody else. Like it just, doesn't make any sense. But don't you think that's something that you have to think about? If you want, like you're saying, the stability of these people working together, head coach and front office, don't you think you want, if you bring in a new head coach, to defer to their opinion and who is going to work? If you know they're not, if you know that's the head coach you want, and you know they're not going to work well with John Dorsey, well, you have to do something different, right? Well, like, and but why not? Why not give them some say into who that is so that they can work well together for a very long time? Well, but I guess that's my point, is that John Dorsey is the one who currently has a job. So decide if he has a future with the Browns organization or not, and then go out and find the best guys for the job. Like, if you want John Dorsey as your GM, go find the best head coach that works personality-wise with John Dorsey. If you don't want John Dorsey as your GM, fire him and go find two new guys who you think are the best two guys. I don't, I don't think, like, all right, we have John Dorsey, we like him. Oh, now we found a head coach that we like, but he doesn't like John Dorsey, so let's fire John Dorsey to then get this head coach to then bring yeah, in another no, guy. I, I, I generally, I understand I generally agree with you, too. It's like trying to have, have like the best of both worlds, and it's, it's like, like it's not really to... how this make, it's not really how any of this works. But don't you think that their relationship with each other in, in, Against what you have said is the problem is we're like in this constant power struggle, this power dynamic of this person is the one making all the calls, all the decisions. Oh, this person is now. And it's like this push pull. Don't you want two guys that are unified together no, moving forward in a absolutely. direction? Just and if decide they both- on John Dorsey now and let that influence the coach that you're going to target. See, but here's the thing where I think that's a challenge. Which spot, if you're deciding for the Cleveland Browns right now, which spot is more important? For success for the Cleveland Browns right now? Is it the head coach or is it the GM? If you're picking between the two, not thinking of any individuals. It's the head coach right now because we already have the talented team. That's what I I think. I think the head coach is the vital spot that needs to get secured. And I would guess that as this coaching search is going forward, John Dorsey might have a say, but he's not right at the center of the decision-making process. And I am super curious 
who is at the center of the decision making process. Like that is a wasn't big this time whole, question. Wasn't this but the whole like, point of bringing John Dorsey in though to have like one one voice as the head of the organization? Like the coach reports to the GM, and we don't have this whole thing where there's like such a convoluted structure. Like John Dorsey was supposed to be the guy at the top. So if you're gonna move away from that, just fire him. I just move on. I think we might and be re- we might restart. be heading we might be heading in that direction. I I don't quite know why they're they haven't done it yet, but it does seem like they could be heading in that direction. And My I will take say, is I, I, I don't just think, think he deserves to be fired, but like if that's what you're gonna do, do it. Here's my thing, and I would say that the body of work hasn't been fantastic for, from John Dorsey. And I do wonder, the pieces that we don't know, like some of the weird, like Richard Higgins stuff, the David Njoku stuff, that like some of the inactives and a lot of the, like lots of these things that we can't really pin to any one person. Was it a coaching staff situation? Was it a front office John Dorsey situation? Like, Maybe some of that stuff was a lot of Dorsey. I don't feel like I'm in a position to say. But if that's the case, that's, a, that's more stuff that could be reason to move on from John Dorsey. Personally, I'm scared about a future three years from now with John Dorsey as our GM and whatever cap situation we're going to be in. Because I don't see wisdom from that man on managing a roster for the long term. And... That scares me, and that's enough reason for me to be more than comfortable moving on from him, like, right now. But given it is not based on purely, like, the roster decisions that he's made up to this point that I would, that I would fire. But if we get the right coach, I, I, care so, I just care so much more about the coach than the GM that I don't really care what they end up doing with, with Dorsey. But I, and I think that there's just not that whatever they say right now about what how cohesive they are or who reports the who with the power stroke. like we've just seen the song and dance so many different times like someone's going to end up getting more of uh Haslam's ear and honestly I think the only way forward and out of that is for us to win football games like yes. and I think the best way for us to win football games is to get a really good head coach that knows what the hell he's doing and then I think the rest of it's kind of going to solve itself because if you've got the really good head coach and John Dorsey doesn't like it. Like he's just going to end up moving on. Like I, I care about finding the best coach and I hope that they listen to some of the smart people that are in that building. And I'm glad that I do actually feel like there's some smart people. Does it bother that you that there's like a seemingly a growing contingent of coaching candidates for the Browns who will not work well with John Dorsey. Does it bother you, me? You know, like, like, shouldn't that be concerning from a John Dorsey perspective where it's like, oh, like, like I, I get it if you bring in Josh McDaniels. Like, he's, he's got relationships that he may prefer to have running as a GM. But, like, John Dorsey's been around this league for a long time, and a guy like Josh McDaniels is going to come in and be like, nope, not working with that guy. Yeah, it's not a good look. I mean, like, don't love that. Well, for John Dorsey, but I don't feel like I need to protect John Dorsey. I'm not going to lose any sleep over John Dorsey being gone as her GM. I just because just you don't really care about the GM in general? Right now. I don't think it's the priority, and I don't 
think that he's awesome at it. I think he's he's real good at like making deals and acquiring top end talent. And I don't think he's real great at building a like sustainable winning team. Like I just haven't seen him do it. Like there's too way too many holes on this roster with like what happened, and like. He didn't re-sign Schobert, didn't seem to even, like, put an effort into doing it. Like, there's just things that are big-time question marks to me that um, I don't, I, I'm okay with no more John Dorsey, to be quite frank. We have top-tier talent, like, and that was the best thing that he was able to do. And, like, I just feel like he's going to make the balance of the roster even worse over time. I don't get the sense that it will become better with more depth and more balance over time with John Dorsey at the home. So that's my personal. All right. So we got a lot of things that we want to talk about on this podcast, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit because we talked about, we fired Freddie kitchen. No more Freddie kitchens. Michael wanted to take a look back at all of the head coaches we have had since the Cleveland Browns came back to be a football team and decided to rank order them for who's been the best and who's been the worst. And let me tell you, (laughs) The sober. waters were muddy right there in the middle. It was a sad, sad reality to look at. So, Michael, take it away. Go through the list. Go I mean, through the list of everyone. Give the listeners a reminder of who I, all of our coaches have been. I was proud been. that I could name them in order. Yeah. Yeah, no, man. He did. He kind of, he went, he started with Chris Palmer to Butch Davis and kind of just kept ticking them off. Um, there were a few in there where I was like, was, was, was that Chud the- before or after Petten? I don't, yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> you know, there were so many there just like, Bam, 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 bam. But, but yeah. I mean, we've had nine coaches now. And these are hired coaches. We didn't include any of the interim coaches. So, like, Greg Williams, Terry Rubisky, like, those guys did not get uh, uh, ranked in this exercise. Just the ones that were sought out and hired as the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. So, you know, it was Chris Palmer, Butch Davis, Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini, Pat Shermer, Rob Chajinski, Mike Pettin. Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens. I mean, it really is like a a sad state of affairs to look at those names of those coaches. And to even like have to crown one of them was a a difficult task to say like, yep, this guy's probably the best. Yeah. And ultimately we went with Butch Davis as our, our top coach. And I think all three of us put him there. Not only did he have the best record overall, but, he led us to our only playoff appearance. Yep. In the since we've been back, he since went twenty four and thirty four, and it looks great compared to the record of the rest of these guys. It, it does look great. Led us to the playoffs in two thousand one, two thousand two season, and that's something that nobody else can claim. <laughs> no one else can point. say they've done that. Oh, jeez. And so Freddie ends up being tied, according to the rankings that we had, as the second worst coach during that time. With? Behind all, well, he's tied with Pat Shermer. <laughs> Seems Which, fitting. It's not good company when you're talking about how good of an NFL head coach you are. Pat Shermer, who also was fired today I, as Giants head coach. Yeah, and I think what we can take away from our list did we did we give him the full rundown of our rankings? No, but Hugh Jackson's obviously the worst. So we gave you the first one. That's Butch Davis. We gave you the last three. I'll give you the rest. So number two was Romeo Cornell. Number three was Mike Pettin. Number four, Eric Mangini. Number five, Rob Chazinski. Number six was Chris Palmer, the poor guy. Poor guy. Then tied, 
for second to last was Pat Shermer, Freddie Kitchens, and then bringing up the rear. I mean, the Mike, incomparable Hugh Jackson. Mike Patton and Romeo Cornell are like the only two that are having prosperous careers right now. Yeah. I think what struck me most when we did this is how the bottom of the list is populated by the more recent coaches for the most part, except for Patton, who's up there at number four. Three. Three. Yeah. Number three. Like, it's been, call it recency bias, maybe, but it's been as bad as the Browns have been overall since 1999. It's been bad recently from a coaching perspective. Well, the, the Kitchens thing, and we mentioned this briefly when we were going through the exercise and laughing about how bad the Browns coaches have been. Oh, but, like, you look at a record of Freddie Kitchens in 6-10, and 10, and it doesn't look nearly as bad as Rob Chudzinski at 4-12, and 12, but, like, the talent that we've had on this team and the expectations, like, just were at a different level. Completely different level. And um, so you're not comparing just, like, record to record, obviously, when you're doing this. Like, you have to look at the talent on the team. Yeah, the, the talent that uh, Chris Palmer had was a little different than the talent that Freddie Kitchens had this year on this team. So, anyways, it's been a sad state of affairs. The bar is pretty low for the next guy we're trying to bring in. He doesn't have to do too much to ascend up this list. Could be number one. But at the, same t- at the same time, I fully want and expect the next head coach to be the best coach of this list. Right? He better. That's what I'm saying. It's not hard <laughs> for him to be there. It's he not better. hard to get there. In, in one year, maybe two, he could be the number one guy. But apparently it is hard because with that <laughs> nine, Might be hard. and none of them have been able to do it. What is so hard about it? I just, I'm so curious. Um, all right, let's talk about that. Who will this next guy be? Um, I think we talked about we're going to go through a list of all the candidates that or, have been mentioned. Or gal. I mean, Condé's still out there, right? Condé, <laughs> she is an option. Yeah. Uh, that She's day. still available? I got so many text messages that day. Oh, my gosh. All because John Dorsey was just trying to prove a point. That is one thing I really do like about John Dorsey, how he likes to throw people off the scent. That's one of my, one of my favorite things. Oh, and him. what a scent it is. <laughs> I'm sure. Just gum. Yeah, starched sweatshirts and gum. Um, so let's go through the list. Thinking about who that next guy will be, um, there's a list of all the potential people who have been linked to the job, candidates, um, who have been said that they're going to have an interview. Um, Which is an extensive list. Really like, is. If they really interview all these guys, it seems like a waste of time. If I remember, we had an extensive list last year. We interviewed a bunch of them. Some of these guys, I would suspect, don't even make it to interviews, depending on how their teams do in the playoffs. Um, you've got guys like, I mean, Brian Dable. Like, he can't interview this right? week. Right, he can't interview this week. We'll see if he ever interviews. Like, if the Bills win this weekend, like, we're going to have a head coach by the time Brian Dable's available to interview, and I don't think anybody's going to lose sleep about not being able to squeeze that one in. Yeah. Um, the interesting ones are um, Kevin Stefanski and uh, Josh McDaniels, who both are seemingly at the, the top of the list weekend. and playing the wild card weekend, and we'll, we'll see when those interviews get to take place. I would guess that those um, dictate the timeline in a large, in a significant way. Vegas right now has Stefanski as the front runner to land the Browns job. And from picking the lines week after week, we know how, ve- how good Vegas really is. Um, we'll, 
the I mean, the good news for Stefanski, if they do make a playoff run, is not much has changed since last year. He was the, the finalist last year. I mean, he's been the offensive coordinator now for the Vikings this coming season. His body of work is apparent on the field. So I would imagine they would feel pretty comfortable knowing what they have if they wanted to kind of postpone a decision so they could bring him in. All right, so let's go through the list and just real quick, I'm going to say a name and then you guys tell me positive, what you like about that name and something that scares you about it. Negatives, positive, negative. Yeah, I mean, because the reality is, is we don't know the specifics about any of these guys, but we've got knee-jerk gut reaction thoughts. So we'll share them. Go from there. All right. Dennis Allen, Saints, defensive coordinator. No, thanks. <laughs> positive is that Saints defense is, is good. Um, he has previous head coaching experience with the Oakland Raiders. Negatives. He wasn't very good. <laughs> the Oakland Raiders. Um, he's a little bit that's older. Fair. He is. He's, he's moderately aged. I mean, I feel like he was young when he was the head coach. He's probably 50, 55. That's not, not as old. young as Josh McDaniels um, was when he was the head coach. Yeah, 33? <laughs> yeah, he was hired at 33. He's Josh young. Um, Dennis Allen doesn't really move the needle for me. All right. But he's going to get another opportunity at some point. I don't know. He will get opportunities but okay. all right mike mccarthy Whew. the positive of mike mccarthy is if you're drinking the kool-aid and reading his press about taking the year off and becoming a better person a better coach that's a little more progressive and up with the time everything got stale in in green bay he did win a super bowl with Aaron Rodgers, and like that's a huge win. Like somebody that has been there and won a Super Bowl, won at the highest level in the NFL. But the thing is, is that was his peak. That was like eight years ago, nine years ago, and he hasn't really developed in his philosophy since then. But he's taking a year off, doing all this work, preparing, getting his coaching staff ready, and he's in order to maximize his second opportunity. And so. There's definitely lots. I feel like there's a lot worse you can do than Mike McCarthy. My fear is, is it's hard to teach an old dog new trick. Like a guy that's been an NFL head coach for 10 years, he might like think that he can do things different, but like actually putting it into practice when he gets back in that seat, like he's going to revert right back to what's comfortable and what he's known and what he's done. Well, and he also might think that he is doing things differently, and it isn't. Yeah. So. And I just think he's a weird dude. I don't really like, I don't get excited thinking about Mike McCarthy as our head coach. But Michael, his family needs football right now. <laughs> his family really needs football right now. Yeah, I think that's a weird thing to say in the <laughs> emotional way that he said it with no more context explanation. or explanation. Yeah. Ugh. Tom Palacero really should have dug in there, pulled that Tom out. Tom was pressing in pretty hard on that particular interview. I think he was just confused and didn't know how to take it. <laughs> he was like, uh, are, are you uh, going broke and this is all you know how to do? Yeah. What it's do you like, mean by this? He was very confused. I literally thought he was going to say the exact opposite whenever he started crying. I thought he was going to be like, yeah, my family just needs me right now. But no, my family needs football. My family <laughs> needs me to be coaching football. I'm around, 70 to 80 hours a week. I'm around too much right now and my family <laughs> needs me gone. Is basically what he was saying. Um, all right. Moving on. Brian Dable. 
Bills offensive coordinator? Uh, I would say the pros are he has a, a very vast resume. I think I saw, I think it was Pete tweeted that he has five Super Bowl rings and a national championship um, as a coach, which is impressive. Worked for a bunch of people. He has five Super Bowl rings? Yeah. For real? Yeah. I mean, he was with the Patriots for a, for a good while. So I think you probably was he in the Patriots like early 2000s, like I think as so, like yeah. a lower level like coaching staff. Yeah, so position. he's been around the league a bunch. He's only 44. the The cons are nobody seems to really like the dude except for Joe Thomas. Um, of Pete fans, <laughs> Joe Thomas likes everyone. Joe Thomas was tweeting about like pumping up Brian Dable um, today, and. Fans in Buffalo don't like his offense. That offense has struggled, not been great. Um, I don't know that there's a lot of scheme that's exciting about Brian Dable. I'm worried about a guy that's been around that long, too, and hasn't really been seen as a head coach or head coaching material until now. Like, what's changed? Like, why... He's he's what? kind of gone up and down. He's bounced down to college, came back up to the NFL. I do feel like he has developed quite well and adjusted things. Like I do like that. Like I think he's a much better coach now than he was whenever he was the Browns offensive coordinator. Um you know, when Joe Thomas entered the league. But oh. All right. It's not not an exciting would not be an exciting hire. Yeah. And to your point, I think there's a decent chance he just kind of doesn't make the cut simply because of the logistics of trying to schedule the interview. Well, I think he's on the back end of the interview list anyway. And then if he has any scheduling conflict, it's going to be tough. Yep. All right. Josh McDaniels. Ooh. Josh McDaniels. The positives. So it's kind of like a younger version of Mike McCarthy, but with a better pedigree of like coaching and better examples being like set for him. That's kind of the way I view this because I mean, Josh McDaniels has been a head coach, but I feel a lot better about Josh McDaniels having what two seasons in Denver won a playoff game with Timmy Tebow. I feel better about Josh McDaniels as like a super young first time head coach learning lessons from that coming back under into the Patriots like system for a long time and having that figured out and had a good chance to digest all of that and like figure it all out. And we've seen him adjust offensive schemes over and over and over again. They do it every freaking game. Like if there's anyone that I feel good about bringing in an offense, that's going to maximize the talent that we have. Like I think that Josh McDaniels is the right type of guy. I feel great about that. And I I generally do prefer a coach, and this is probably a little bit of a direct reaction to Freddie Kitchens having no experience, but I would prefer a coach that has some head coaching experience that we can call on, like four in-game type decisions and situations. Um, and he's checking, he just checks a lot of the boxes. Not to mention, it seems like D. Haslam has a crush on Josh McDaniels, and that is clearly a top candidate. So it seems like he is near the top of the list if this is something that he would be interested in doing. Um, and what's been interesting to me is hearing that he would have had interest in the Browns job last year, but they did 
they didn't interview him or look at him. And now it was only a year removed from him, like, and the whole Colts debacle. So more time probably needed to pass on that situation for to consider hiring Josh McDaniels. But um, to me, I see lots of positives. One negative I can see, a big negative is that a lot of people do not like Josh McDaniels because of how he handled that Colt situation. But I don't think there's a ton of specifics known other than he had said he would take the job and then he changed his mind. And there could, that could have happened for a variety of different reasons. And um, I, don't want to def- I don't want to defend anyone. Yes. Like, He's married. He has kids. Like, yeah. I mean. Right. Like, there's a million things that could have been. I could see myself in that situation. Be like, oh, yeah, this is great. I'll take the job. I think that if Josh oh, McDaniels crap. gets the Browns job, I think the pairing of Josh McDaniels and Baker Mayfield could be like the biggest like villainy like pairing in the NFL. I think everyone would like love to hate us. If we were good. If if we were good have to and like those two. Good. Yeah. But don't you think that would be the case? Like people already don't like McDaniels and people are always looking at reasons to like dislike and hate on Baker Mayfield. And I think it would be it could be a really interesting situation. No, absolutely. The the only other knock um that I have or con on McDaniels would be his affiliation with some of the kind of like cheating scandals. He had his own like videotaping scandal when he was in um Denver, had a video assistant filming practice, whatnot. Hey, he's, I want he's a in coach New England. that leaves no rock unturned. That's great. I'm just saying, like, we have enough crap to deal with in Cleveland. Like, if we're starting to deal with that kind of stuff, like publicly. Oh yeah. That could be that could get annoying real fast. Especially if Jimmy Haslam might be winning. all about it. It sounds like right <laughs> <up time. laughs> yeah. Wait, like real similar to some things going on at yeah. Pilot Flying J. Wait, you cheated? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So maybe that's a pro. So it's a good fit. It's you a culture fit. Ain't trying. It's a culture fit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awful. <laughs> Did you get caught? Nope. Oh, you pinned it on somebody else? Perfect. <laughs> Smart move. <laughs> Uh, that's what i like to see little gumption uh it is a stark contrast though doing everything you can to win going all the way across the line of cheating versus jarvis landry coming out today and saying like we just weren't we weren't weren't prepared yeah like we weren't prepared we didn't know what we needed to do to win like other reports coming from inside the staff from unnamed sources saying that Freddie Kitchen's game management and game preparation was the worst that they've ever seen in the NFL. That's bad. That wouldn't be the case with Justin Dan. That's definitely true. Um, all right, moving on. A little bit of a different taste. Urban Meyer. We've talked about it on this pod. I, I mean, I think the pros are his, the intensity of the individual and attention to detail. Um, I don't think game prep and detail will be an issue with Urban Meyer. We will be going in the complete opposite direction. The cons are he's never coached in the NFL. How well does, does his style and or scheme translate to the NFL? And there's a lot of question marks about if kind of his go-to scheme needs to be reworked for yep. modern, the, the modern game. Also, I mean, he, he was on the cutting edge for so staff. long. Yeah, and I don't know. Like I don't know what like the kind of relationships he has there. 
seems like the biggest challenge to me when you're coming from the from college to like part of what makes a guy like Urban Meyer really successful is that he has really established relationships amongst like the coaching fraternity. But you know, and he has can a bunch of former can, assistants in the league too. I mean, if like you, who? If you think about Dan like, like Dan Quinn, if you think about Dan Quinn was not with Urban Meyer. Yeah, he was. No, he wasn't. He was with um, Will Muschamp. Was he? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if you think about just other, he's got defensive assistants in the league, doesn't he? Ravens defensive coordinator was our defensive coordinator for a while down in Gainesville. I think he's probably got a, a, a bigger network because he's pulled from, from the NFL. But, but it is a question mark for sure with these coaches who haven't coached in the league yet. What, what kind of networks are they able to pull from? Brings in Charlie Strong as his defensive coordinator. That'd be amazing. Just get the gang back together. 2008 Florida Gator. Yeah. What's DJ Durkin doing now? <laughs> He's in jail somewhere, isn't he? Um, there's also the thing you got to think about with Urban. How long until, you know, he needs to spend some more time with his family? <laughs> I mean, it could be a very legitimate thing. We're on the precipice yeah, of you, a, a you great get him season. In, you and, get him in Cleveland. And, and all of a sudden, Urban needs, <laughs> needs time with the fam. Who knows? That's a good question. All right. Uh, Greg Roman. Greg Roman. Positives is he's leading one of the most dynamic, exciting offenses the NFL's seen in a long, long time that is very um, much catered around the personnel that they have. Um, it resembles, but is much more updated, the offense that he ran in San Francisco with a running quarterback and a young um, Colin Kaepernick. I think the cons are built into that same thing is that the most success and the highest peaks you've seen from <clears throat> Greg Roman are with running quarterbacks. And that seems to be his niche. And that is not Baker Mayfield. And I'm pretty darn certain that this whole head coach is going to be working with Baker Mayfield. There's no, we're not leaving the door open like the Cardinals did for Cliff Kingsbury to go to a different quarterback. I think Baker's the guy. And you got to want to be here with Baker. That's another thing we should have mentioned about Josh McDaniels, not to jump back to that, but it is very well documented that the Patriots and Josh McDaniels specifically were very, very keen on Baker Mayfield. And he has come out saying that he thought that the Patriots were going to trade up all the way to the top of the draft to get him in last year's draft. And so, like, it's noted that Josh McDaniels would like to play, would have liked to coach Baker Mayfield. And so, that seems like a huge positive. Plus, think about it from McDaniel's perspective. I've thought about this for a while. Like, why the heck would he ever leave? He's got Tom Brady, and he's working under Bill Belichick, and it seems like he's going to get the keys whenever Belichick decides to leave. But if, if you know re- that next year, Tom Brady's probably not going to be there, and he's going to know better than anybody, like, what's really going on with Brady? Is he actually declining? Is he hurt? Does he think he's going to be there? He's got to have a good sense of what's going on there. But if Brady's going to be gone, which I think is a pretty decent idea or thought at this point he's not going to be there next year do you want to go with a quarterback you feel good about and you've seen perform on an nfl level or a big fat question mark in new england especially stay as the offensive coordinator waiting for the time when belichick finally goes up like you could really get thrown under the decision you could really get thrown under the bus too if brady retires belichick retires and you're left running the ship with a roster an offensive roster that isn't nearly as good and some of those long-term Belichick guys like Skarnecchia. 
I don't think Skarnekia is sticking around for for the post Belichick era, right? You you could get caught holding the bag there a little bit and really have the ire of Patriots fans. I I think he would would be right to look at jumping ship. Um, the timing seems seems good there. Going back to Greg Roman, to be fair to him, he's only ever actually been an offensive coordinator with a running quarterback. He, he's he's <laughs> never fair. not had success like with a traditional um, like pocket passer. He's but he has been successful with the players that he has at his disposal, right? Um, so I think another perk plus to him, if we look at it, is just taking him away from the Ravens. Absolutely, he, he seems to be a great fit marriage <laughs> with. With, yeah, I definitely with do. Lamar. I definitely and, do want him to get hired by somebody. And it's I There's would no I would love that. to see him not be their offensive coordinator anymore. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. All right, Robert Sala. Uh, before we move on, from we'll go to him in a yep. second. Greg Roman. I think that five I, eight two fifty five. By the way, Greg Roman, is that, real, 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 real portly stout. fella. <laughs> yeah. Um, Freddie Kitchens esque, just a little lot shorter. Lot do you think shorter. He's that's a, like that's like eight inches shorter. Do you think Greg Roman's always in the booth because he just doesn't want to stand on the sideline the whole time? <laughs> Next to everybody else. So I think that this is I am suffering from what many ownership groups and front offices suffer from when they're making a decision on a new head coach. Is they want to move on from the type of coach that they had previously and move in the opposite direction. And to me, Greg Roman seems like uh, the hot like offensive coordinator right now. And at this time last year, Freddie Kitchens was a hot off was the hot offensive coordinator. That seemed like the direction we needed to ride. Yeah. And so like, I think I'm predisposed to not want to go in that direction as well, but that's probably not the right way to be looking at. It. So another and the final knock on Greg Roman is the coaches he's worked under, he's been successful, but they haven't been great. It's Jim Harbaugh, Rex Ryan, and, and now John Harbaugh. Obviously, John Harbaugh's the most successful of the bunch. But I don't – not exactly. Those are the examples of head coaches that he's, like, learned under. And yeah, it's like not exactly guys I want him emulating his... necessarily. John Harbaugh's great and he's kind of the exception here. But – I don't. I don't want him him bringing all of those learned lessons necessarily to to Cleveland. <laughs> that is fair. All right, Robert Sala. Yeah. Um. Riveting. Robert Sala. What do we have to say? I don't want him as our head coach. He. I don't think he has the experience necessary to to succeed here in Cleveland. I don't think he has a profile. I mean, he was a a defensive assistant in Seattle this San Francisco job a couple years ago. The defense is really good this year, but it's also loaded. Like, I think I need to see a lot more from him and over, it's tailed over off a longer, a good bit over longer the period half of time. The season. Like, it was very elite early on, and what, particularly on the pass rush side of things, and it has not been nearly at, it has not been playing at that same level yeah. down the second half of the he, season. He wins the, wins the, the photo game, though. Good-looking good guy there on the sideline. Mm-hmm. Beautiful bald head. Wears mm-hmm. nice, well-fitting clothing, which is more than a lot of coaches can say. I, <laughs> yeah, it's a low bar. Seems to, seems to care about his physical fitness and just general <laughs> health. 
which is more than Freddie Kitchens or a Almost lot all of the guys were. Let's be, let's be honest. Yeah, he would. He would definitely be my pick if there was just like a a WWE I, like like cage match. Yeah, I don't know. I think or Freddie a might distance be. race. Yeah. yeah, any sort of like physical <laughs> physical challenge. Stefanski could be up there. I'm not really sure about Josh McDaniels' is athleticism. Stefanski fit? He I know is. he's younger, but I don't know. Is he? I think he's in good shape. He he appears to be in good shape. You seen a picture of him face, with his shirt off? Or his face does not scream fat. All right, let's talk about Stefanski because <laughs> we clearly don't we have much to say. About <laughs> I think we had lots to say. It just didn't have a whole lot to do with his, you know coaching ability or our desire to have him as a coach. about Caleb what I would say is there's a couple former Browns coaches that I would bring back before I would hire Caleb okay how far down that list would you go um well I'm considering <laughs> Romeo and Butch off the table just because I mean Butch is coaching at FIU he's pretty old Romeo's Rome, the defensive Romeo's coordinator of the Texans I know but he's like be, 70 it would also something. be his third head coaching job yeah he's he's pretty old um I'd bring back uh, Patton or Chud, which were three or four on my list, as our head coach before I would do Salem. Yeah, I probably agree. With I that mean, too. they probably wouldn't come back or might not. By the way, we found out Chud it wasn't coaching out of the, the NFL league. this year. I wonder what he's doing, or maybe even the year before. Maybe he's with that Mike McCarthy group, <laughs> <laughs> just pounding away in Green Bay. <laughs> I'll get there again. He's been promised the tight ends coaching, the tight end coaching job. The Mike McCarthy future staff. Oof. Imagine what do those contracts look like? Imagine hitching your train to that wagon. Those guys can't be getting paid. Like nobody's paying them, right? I wouldn't imagine. But why would you commit to that like a year out? Because it's a guaranteed job, and there's like not that many options to coach, and it's like guys like Jim Haslett that haven't coached in the NFL in a little while. But is it a guaranteed job? Well, he like Mike McCarthy might not get a job. We'll see. We'll see. All, All right. right. Let's talk about Kevin Stefanski. Matthew claimed this was his top candidate, which he's right up there. He and Josh McDaniels, either one of those guys gets the job, and I'm feeling pretty good. Kevin Stefanski, the thing about Kevin Stefanski is on the surface level, it's clear that the analytics side of our front office, Paul D. Podesta in particular, tabbed him as the guy. And everything we've heard about what the analytics side of our front office has thought and determined about previous head coaching hires has been quite good. I think that it would have been the right call to hire, what's the Bills coach's name? I Sean always McDermott. forget his name. Sean McDermott. And that was clearly their d- direction. So on the, just like at the basic level of it was the recommendation of that side of our front office, like that makes sense to me. Now, if you go in that direction... You need to be like heading in the analytics side of things and have a like cohesive approach and program on both sides of the fence. Like John Dorsey's probably not around if we hire Kevin Stefanski, I would not imagine, as the head coach. I just don't see that really working out long term. But Kevin Stefanski, I wasn't completely against it last year. The biggest concern I had was his lack of experience coaching an offense because he, he, he came in the middle of the season. Yeah, took over and took play over, calling duties from DiFilippo. Yeah, 
But everything you heard about him and his like makeup and the way that he operates seems like a head coach type of guy. And those are the ones that do so well. Like you hear all these stories about like in the NFL, what you need as a head coach is like somebody that's gonna pull everybody together and be a like meticulous game planner and a rallier of the troops and get everybody in the right spots and manage the system. Like Kevin Stefanski has been quoted many, many times about like having a program and believing in the program above all else. Like, I love that. Like the coaches that you feel good about from season to season is like the John Harbaugh's that were not all that heralded like before they got the spot. The Andy Reeds that like weren't even a coordinator before they got the job. Like some of these coaches have the skill set. Mike Tomlin was a secondary coach. Right. I mean, it's like some of the most successful ones were not the obvious front and center like coaches on some of these staffs the, the prior year. And I feel like Joe Banner has been beating this drum like forever about it. And he points to the Andy Reid hiring in particular. But um, we've seen it so many times. And it seems like Stefanski is that guy that fits that bill of being a sustainable long-term head coach that is going to get the pieces in place um, to succeed. And we've seen that offense take a whole nother step this year. I mean, they've had Gary Kubiak around as well, which has probably only been a valuable thing. And I just have a good feeling about that and would feel even better about it if it meant more alignment with um, a front office that is more analytically inclined. Um, which feels like we'd be just jumping back. I want, I, it does make me wonder, if we go with Stefanski in particular, it makes me wonder how much the Haslam's think about how they listen to Hugh instead of Sashi, and if that was maybe not a great idea. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think some of the, some of the, the cons of Stefanski coming in to, to before last season have been have been kind of answered. He's got a, a year and a half now of calling plays. That offense is great. Uh, with, I mean, look at the pieces they have in Minnesota versus the pieces we could offer here. Like, I, I love how that compares. Yeah. He's turned Kirk Cousins into what they <clears throat> hoped Kirk Cousins would be. Dalvin Cook was the best back in the league until they started getting hurt. I mean, that zone blocking zone scheme, blocking Nick, scheme Chubb would, Nick Chubb would just destroy. Like 2,000 yards. Like, it would be ridiculous. And then you got Odell Beckham, Jarvis, whoever else we can throw out there. Yeah. Like, that'd be sweet. So he's, he's my number one candidate because I feel like um, there could be an organizational like, synergy there yeah. with, with that candidate, keeping some of the guys we have on staff. Maybe Dorsey doesn't stay in that scenario because of the weird way we're approaching this. Um, but, I mean, we've heard rumors, even Mary Kay wrote a column um, teasing maybe Andrew Barry's coming back. Oh, I would be so excited. Currently, I think the executive vice president of something for the Eagles, he would come back in a probably a general manager role. I wonder like how well founded that was. I would love to get. Was she just. I don't know. She was also tweeting random things like hashtag like get a, mama a beer. Yeah. <laughs> Must have been a long day. For I have no Kay. idea what Mary Kay was doing yesterday, but good for you, girl. Get yourself here. Um, and hashtag come get me. Yeah, that or, was another one. Or no, no, it was come get me. 
was it come get me? I thought it was what um what's his face what Johnny Manziel texted the quarterback coach on draft night. What was that? What did he text him? I thought it was in reference to what Odell was telling people on the sidelines all year. Johnny Manziel said, "Let's wreck this league." Yeah, no, it wasn't that. Yeah, it was come get me. Um, all right, last but not least, Lincoln Riley, head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. I would get excited about that too. But I, the thing is that I haven't heard anything about it, and so it's making me wonder if he's like actually considering even or even listening to any NFL teams that are calling right now. Well, who knows? I mean, if you are Lincoln Riley, it would behoove you to keep that quiet. There's no reason to go shouting from the mountaintops that you're going to take an interview with an NFL team. Yeah, I don't think Lincoln Riley's trying to drum up a market. You know, I think he's, he's going to get all of the co- calls from every every NFL organization that he possibly wants to get interviewed, right? Um, my cons on this are similar to any college coach. How can he put a staff together? Yeah, just kind of Who's, who's he going to do? Also, is he going to be able to translate it to the NFL? I mean, Oklahoma just got smoked Yep. in, in a game like – what what happens when the chips are down and you're and you're getting smoked? I mean, that was on a much different scale. That was also what everyone said about what's his face at Arizona, Kingsbury. Yeah, and I would say, and he's he's it, done an admirable job part, of adapting too. In, and so, yeah, the biggest question with all of these college coaches is how do you adapt? How do you how do you change what you're doing to? to meet the needs of winning in the NFL. Yeah. Um, but purely from like the pairing of the coach and the quarterback, like have to love the idea of Lincoln Riley, if that, if that would be the case. The big key on the coaching staff to me is like getting the defensive side short up and getting the right folks in place to coach. Our- in that case, I would love a, an experienced guy. Bring Wade Phillips in. Oh, more experience the better. Yes, yeah. no doubt. No doubt. Bring Phillips in to coach the defense. Pair him with a Lincoln Riley. Just do what the the Rams did three years ago. Call it a day. All right, so Michael, your favorite of all of these candidates is? I think it's Josh McDaniels. You were most excited talking about him. I think Josh McDaniels, but Stefanski's right up there too. The thing that worries me about this, I, I actually think both of those might mean the end of John Dorsey. Which, and I'm kind of clearly like petitioning for that at this point. I don't know that I really thought that when we sat down to record this, but as I'm speaking out loud, it seems kind of clear that I'm more than okay with moving on from John Dorsey. So, um, those are my top two picks, for sure. Matthew, you already Stefanski. stated Stefanski was your guy. My ride or die. Mark? I'm thinking Stefanski or Lincoln Riley. However, whenever you were talking about um, Josh McDaniels and how badly he wanted to coach Baker and the Patriots as an organization wanted to coach Baker, that is that excites me. And I, I do think that being a head coach, going back to being a coordinator for so long, and then getting the job again gives you time I to just get all different. of your ducks in order. I what? just think it's a different situation. Like Guys are better their second time around. Like, Bill Belichick is coaching his sec is on his second head coaching job right now. Like, there's a real thing. Like, this is true in all aspects of life. The first time you do something, you do your best, 
and you realize you messed up a bunch of crap. And you, so you like, either you either get to work through it with the yeah. the place that you're at and grow, or or you get, it a, second work out and you get a second chance, or you get a second chance. And I don't feel like he's jumping right into it, and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to do a lot of it." Like he's had a good amount of time, and this like Adam has Gase. evaluated this like over years, and has been winning at an elite level in the NFL, like under Bill Belichick, and. I think I'm even less scared about a Bill Belichick um, coach from that whole tree coming over after seeing what's going on in Miami. Like, we've seen so many coaches just try to, like, replicate what Belichick has done and it hasn't worked. But then you see what's going on in Miami and it's like, oh, all right. Like, this can work. We're starting to see. And for whatever it's worth, McDaniels is one of the only assistants I can remember who left and then was, like, invited back when it didn't work out. That is true. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative for him. Why would it be a negative? I don't know. I don't know what it says. But it says there's that also, he's better than the guys that, that were there had after. available. But there's also the yeah, flip Charlie side of Weiss that coin. Charlie Weiss isn't coaching for the, <laughs> yeah. for the Patriots anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's doing radio on the NFL Network. There's also the flip side of the coin where, like, Matt Patricia has not looked great in, in other Belichick tree coaches have not gone on to have renowned success. I mean, the best of them is Mike Vrabel right now, who was never actually on the coaching staff with Bill Belichick. He was just a player. Yeah, and I think that McDaniels was a, has been around the Belichick side of things, like, long enough that I think he's, like, seen it. He oh. actually understands. Like, do you know what I mean? But, like, I just think it's a different deal than kind of, like, getting your jolt for a couple years, like, under the Belichick thing. is like, oh, that's what got me here. This is how I got the job. Like, I better replicate. Like, that's my ticket. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I see that from, like, a Mangini. Like, that makes sense. It's like, all right, well, oh, I got this working the Belichick system. Like, I got to ride that wave, and there's no other way. And McDaniels has been outside of the system. He had his lumps. Like, he can, I feel like he can incorporate a nice blend, I would imagine, um, going forward. So, anyway. I also love the people who are calling for McDaniels to come and bring Steve Belichick as the defensive coordinator, (laughs) which just seems so unlikely. Like, he's probably qualified, and he's probably ready for it, and he's arguably the defensive coordinator there in, um, in New England. But there's no way you're leaving. Yeah, no, I don't right? think so. I don't, I don't, I would not. No. That's hilarious. Would be amazing. That's hilarious. All right, well, let's shift gears a little bit here, and let's talk about players so this is the last game of the season and there are probably some browns players who had just played their last game as a cleveland brown i'd be interested to hear who you think they are um and who you think actually still have a chance to be um to come back and play again so we got demarius randall we got higgins Schobert, greg robinson kareem hunt all potential could never could never see the field again as a brown demarius randall don't let the door hit you on the way out don't care. I I don't think there's any way he gets resigned just from a pure number like cap number standpoint. Um, and 
there were clearly disconnects between he and the organization. Whether it was the only way he gets resigned is if he goes back out to the market and like there's no appetite, and then he's like comes crawling back, and we get him for a big, crazy one year discount type situation. It's the only sure. situation I see that happening, and I think that's very unlikely. Um, the only player I'm like super sad that we just mentioned here is Joe Schobert, and the fact that there's been no real conversation about an extension. Like, it makes me wonder the, if I'm putting... It makes and, me wonder what it means that there's been no real conversation. Right. Like, has each side thrown out a number and it's, like, so far apart? Far and it's apart. like, well, yep, nope. I wonder that, like, too. Are the Browns thinking, like, seven a year and he's thinking 15? And they're like, well, it's not even worth it. Like, we're not even like going to be able to You value find yourself it. as one of the best linebackers in the league. And we simply don't. We don't. Yeah, because because at the end of the day, not resigning him is just strictly dollars, right? I mean, he's going to be looking for a fifteen million. He's going to be looking for a Quan Alexander type deal, as he should, because he's like the, the only Quan big name deal running back. Is structured funny. It looks like a lot of like average, but like they can get out of it real easily, like after a year or two. In that quantity sure but he had injury concerns so i'm sure that's where that comes from but um i just don't think that we are in a position right now to be like let's give 15 million dollars a year to a linebacker for five years but at the same time what are we gonna have on our the back end of our defense we're gonna have linebackers we're gonna have a couple we're gonna have a couple corners but no one up the gut like no linebackers or safeties that you feel good about not a single one. Yeah. That is pathetic. Well, I mean, would you feel better long-term about giving a, a, an outside, outsized deal to Schobert and being locked into that for a while so we have him this year and moving on from Kirksey? Or do we keep Kirksey for a year and keep the long-term flexibility by not committing long-term dollars to a player who maybe is going to be an albatross? Down the road. I would pay Joe Schobert, and I would give I mean, the fact is, the fact is, our defense hasn't been good down the stretch with Joe Schobert in the middle. And I'm not saying that it's his fault. I'm saying that, like, he doesn't make or break whether our defense is, like, stopping I, people. I mean, I'm no expert on this, but I'm quite certain that if Joe Schobert hadn't been out there, we'd be a whole lot shittier. He's like the only talented player on in that portion. Like, I mean, Luke Keekley, like the best. Bo- Bobby Wagner, I don't name whatever. But player. I don't think he's good. Like, I don't think he's he's okay. There. But but like, if you put them in his spot, are they making more of a difference to the outcome of our team and how we're playing? I don't think so. I there's no one playing next to him, and there's no one playing even halfway decent behind him. So, like, I think it's impossible to pin any, like, success or loss on the defense. Like, he's the only bright spot amongst the linebackers and safeties. All right, so what's... And I just can't, like... But he'll be, be like, our our third highest paid player going into next year. Like, what are you willing to pay Joe Schobert? 
I think I would like to see a deal that's like front loaded where like it's maybe a whole lot up front and then like a couple years down the line if he's not playing up to it we can move on. I think that's probably the direction that I would You go. mean front loaded with guaranteed money with cash. Yep. At what like So an average annual value between like 14 and 15 is probably realistic. I mean, now that he's on the open market but we wouldn't have had to pay that much if we had signed him last off season. So that's part of my frustration. All right, Cream Hunt, what do you think happens with him? They'll tender him. It's just a matter of what level. I think they'll tender him low. Third round, second round? Yeah. I'd like do third round, round tender. If it was me, I'd do second round. I think they want him on the team next year. He's so cheap. And then somebody gives you a second round pick, that's great. But he is, he's so cheap, but it's still like $2.5 million. It's $2.5 million. He's worth $2.5 million. Absolutely. You were going to pay Duke Johnson $6 million next year if you'd kept him. I, yeah. like, I like that. I mean, if you, if you keep him like a second-round tender, you pay him and then let him walk in free agency, hopefully he gets a good a, deal, a good deal and, and you get, get a comp, comp pick. pick. Yeah, and if not, somebody offers you a second-round pick and you take it. Absolutely. And that's awesome. I just think second round tender is like the sweet spot where it's like you're real happy no matter what happens. I don't think it's worth trying to save a million dollars by putting a third round tender on him. And then you're going to risk somebody else going. Then you got to like say, oh, I'm going to keep him. And then you don't have the chance of really getting a good. I mean, I'd obviously much rather have a second round pick than a third round pick. And I think that Kareem Hunt being on our team next year is going to be a valuable thing. He seems you- like he's been great in the locker room, honestly. It, I don't see any negatives on that side of things. How much do you have to pay if it's a first-round tender? It's like four and a half, something, I think. <clears throat> they won't do a first-round tender. That wasn't my question. I just don't think they'll do it. Yeah. That seems like the difference between a second round. The, the dollar's difference doesn't make it worthwhile. So basically you're saying I'm going to pay another million or two million dollars to put a first round tender on the guarantee that nobody comes and offers a trade yeah first round is four and a half second round is three and then the original round which would be our third round tender is two yeah and just i just there's not really a team there i think that would ever consider so no i don't think so but it just depends on how valuable they think cream hunt is if they think that him being on the team and having that third down back having someone that can mix it up I mean, Baker loved passing to him. There's a chance that they don't want him gone. Enough that they would pay $4 million for a serious producer on our team and a locker room presence. Why don't we franchise Joe Schobert if you're willing to give him that much money? They might. Franchise tags 15.4 for a linebacker. For one year. Or it's, pro- it's actually projected to go up to 16. Oh, they might. That'd be fine with me. Anyone else you want to talk about? Say goodbye to Rashard Higgins. Haven't seen him in quite some time, but I'll be sad he's gone. Probably gone. He's probably gone. What a waste. Um, I was thinking about this. Man, remember how exciting that very first offensive drive was in the preseason? On that pass, that like awesome like high pass to Rashard Higgins for the touchdown? Remember how exciting our first offensive drive of this season was? <clears throat> that was a high point. It was bang. all downhill from there. That was the mountain top right bang, there. Bang, 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 bang. It was awesome. What could be? What could be? Um, 
Greg Robinson, most likely he's out of contract. I'm super um, interested to see what he is able to get for a contract in the offseason. Yeah. I think he'll probably get a, a longer a couple term year deal. deal. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck to him. Good good for you. You you tried. I think he's earned here. earned uh you know, an average starter type job. Um and then players who are technically under contract but could very well be moved on from in this offseason are TJ Carey, Chris Hubbard, and Christian Kirksey. All for, for cap reasons saving money. Um if we uh, keep if we let, move on from Schobert, we definitely keep Kirksey. If we re-sign Schobert, then I think Kirksey's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't really see both of them. It doesn't seem feasible. But I don't see both of them being gone either, for your point exactly, Michael, who would be our linebackers. Like we can't put everything behind Mac Wilson and Sion Taki Taki. Nope. And then nobody else. Like we literally I mean, don't like, have yeah. other linebackers I mean, on the roster. Um Yeah, no, I I tend to agree with you. And I mean, it's possible that they both come back. I definitely think the Browns are gonna sign a pretty established veteran linebacker and a pretty established veteran safety. And I think that's what we need. We just need those mid-level vets who I'm thinking like, uh, um, I don't think this guy's going to be a free agent, but a Demario Davis type. Like what? He was not a sexy pick. That's you what didn't we talked about. Ep- on- you didn't listen to the episode that Mark and I had? No. But we had this exact conversation and Demario <laughs> Davis was the player that I brought up. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page. But there are those players out there that could really, really help this team um, and would be more interested in coming if we had an open linebacker spot. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, and then Chris Hubbard. I think he's gone. Kendall Lamb's still under contract next year. So... He can slot in a right tackle. We all think we need a new left tackle. Kendall Lamb can be the swing tackle, and we can get two new tackles. But honestly, if Kendall Lamb shows up day one as the starting right tackle, as we're trying to ease in a rookie, like that's not the worst case scenario. No, not at all. He can be fine. Whew. All right. Man. It's kind of weird how like apathetic I was towards the Browns the last couple weeks. And how now that the coaching job is open, I'm like kind of excited. Well, this is what it's all. This is what being a Browns fan is all about. It's the off season, baby. Winning the off season. Hope, <laughs> hope, hope, and potential change. Next year could be it. Be our year. Oh. Um, well, anyway, with that week 17 loss to the Bengals, um, talking about hope, we now have the 10th overall pick in the draft. So we moved on up. Um, it's huge. Which is crazy. I mean, with how our season's going, we were like three weeks ago talking about potentially making the playoffs, and we lose to... Um, Everyone. We lose to the Cardinals. We lose three games straight, and now we got the 10th pick in the draft. That's exactly how you want it to go, right? A lot of things shook in our favor. A few teams like in that same range like won a couple games down the stretch, and we snuck into 10, which I think... I mean, we'll see. There's a lot of draft prep to, to be done, but there's three real good offensive tackles in this draft. Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, and Andrew Thomas. And at this juncture, it seems like if we can get just one of those guys, we're going to be in darn good shape on that side of things. And I'm pretty confident that in now that we're at pick number 10, we'll be able to get at least pick between at least one of those guys. And so that makes me excited. Yeah. Hope is back. 
The season is over. We don't have to think about that anymore. Hope is alive. The offseason has begun. All right. That'll wrap it up. We'll see. Um, We'll be back to you um, next week. Hopefully we'll have some more information on the coaching hire. Um, In the meantime, thanks for listening, guys. Go Browns. Follow us on Twitter, Sin of Our Fathers. Uh, Send us an email, sinofourfathers at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you have to say about the show, anything you want us to talk about. Um, And thanks so much for listening, guys. Uh, Be sure to rate the podcast, leave a review. really goes a long way um, to get other people listening to what we have to say. Go Browns. Next year's our year. Browns.